We're continuing in our series uh, that we're just calling Encountering Jesus. And what we're doing is we're looking through the Gospel of John, and we're looking at different ways that people encounter Jesus, the conversations that people have with Jesus, and what we can learn about Jesus, about ourselves, and how we are to respond to him, hoping and believing that when we encounter Jesus, he changes everything. We sang it in that fourth song that he is the unchanging one that changes everything. And we believe, that I believe, that if you encounter Jesus, you recognize who he is, and you respond accordingly, that he will change everything. That you'll find complete forgiveness and hope and rest in Jesus. For time's sake, I want to jump right into our text. I want to read our text And then if you have a handout, we'll begin to walk through today's sermon. But our text is John chapter 8, beginning in verse 48, all the way through verse 59. If you're there with me this afternoon, simply say amen. Amen. John 8, 48, the Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? So there's a question of Jesus' identity. Note that where the question of Jesus' identity is the question of our text. Verse 49, Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jew said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Once again, the question in the text is Jesus' identity. Verse 54, Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple." As we read this text, there are a couple of things that I, as I read it, I immediately have questions about. For example, what's this whole idea with Jesus having a demon? And what's this whole idea about why 50 years? What was significant about 50 years versus 40 years or 60 years? What are those two things? And here's what I want to say. For the sake of today's sermon, I don't have the opportunity. We're not going necessarily verse by verse, but we are going to look at the overall theme of the text and try to answer it, which was what? A question of Jesus' identity. But I do want to start in verse 48 when it says, Jesus answered, or excuse me, the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? You've got to understand something. For the Jews, the Samaritan were not their friends, and the demonic were not their friends. The fact that we can debate some of the specifics, what's significant about Samaritan, what's significant about demon, but let's not miss the overall point, is they were dishonoring Jesus in this moment. They were putting a title and identity to him that was contrary to who he is and was very much shaming and dishonoring him, which is why he even references the fact when he responds, 
I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, yet you dishonor me. Got to understand something. He's, he's in an antagonistic moment with the question of his identity, and people are trying to label him something that he is not. For time's sake, we're just going to leave it at that. And we got to ask the question as we look at the target statement for today, which is simply this, Jesus is, and it's a blank. Now, some of you are looking at the screen and looking at your uh, fill in the blank, and you're going, well, the fill in the blank, I'm used to having fill in the blanks, but I'm not used to them not being filled in on the screen. Well, that's very intentional because there's two points that I want to make with that target statement, which is the goal for today's sermon, is Jesus is, and then we've got to fill in the blank. On one side, we've got to fill in the blank by asking ourselves the question, who is Jesus and what is his identity? Now, that's not to say from a very relativistic place to mean you get to define who Jesus is. That's not my point. You do not get to define who Jesus is, but yet all of us have a perception of who he is. So the challenge isn't an actual challenge to who he is, but a challenge of who do you perceive him to be. But this text is hopefully going to answer the question. Also in this text, one of the John chapter 8 a part that we didn't cover over the three weeks we looked at John chapter 8, not in detail, was this statement where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I've already given it to you in your notes, but there are seven I am statements where Jesus answers the question of his identity. And he answers the question by filling in the blank. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. All of the Gospel of John, as is true for the other Gospels, are really trying to answer Jesus' identity. But the Gospel writer of John goes in much more intentional ways to help us see, as you encounter him, and make sure we understand who we are encountering and Jesus' identity. And so one of the goals with the target statement of Jesus is and fill in the blank is to challenge you is what do you fill in in that spot? But then furthermore, which is the main point really of today's text, is to just answer the state question of Jesus' identity with the answer that Jesus is, period. Now, that's an incomplete sentence in English because there's no object to it. Jesus is what? Jesus, like, we have to fill in the blank. But here's what I want us to get, is what this text is challenging. When Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, Jesus is simply saying that I am, which is, in, in theology, as it relates to Jesus, Jesus is, and then nothing after it, period, is a complete sentence as to say that Jesus needs no other qualifier. But the greatest qualifier of the fact that Jesus is God is the reality that he just simply is. There was never a moment he was not. He was in the past, the present, and the future. He existed. By definition, that makes him God. Always existing, above time, and above creation. And so I want us to see... That today's text, there are many moments in John, like for example with the seven I am statements, where there is a qualifier. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. And we can go on more. We can say that Jesus is love, that Jesus is gracious. We could fill in tons of qualifiers. But the greatest statement about Jesus' divinity is that the reality that Jesus is, is a complete sentence theologically. Exodus chapter 3 verse 14 is where the foundation of this comes. In Exodus 3 14... God, coming to Moses, says and identifies himself as, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Jesus, or excuse me, God in the Old Testament reveals himself 
to Moses as the greatest statement of who he is and that he's greater than Pharaoh and he's greater than the fact that they're in captivity and that God transcends them is simply by the statement of I am who I am. I exist. I am. It's literally just the word to say I exist. I be. I am. And so why is that insignificant? Because in the old, all right, so real quick in case you didn't know, the Old Testament is originally written in Hebrew with a little bit of Aramaic in there. But Hebrew in the New Testament is in Greek. Well, the Old Testament also has a Greek translation for the first century. There was a, they didn't all understand Hebrew, and so they had it translated in their common language. Hence, you and I have the Bible translated in English. It makes sense. And so the common language of the time for reading and writing was Greek. And so they had the Old Testament translated into Greek, which is known as the Septuagint. Significant because the statement here in John chapter 8, verse 58, when Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am, is the Greek ego eimi. I forgot to put it on the screen for you to see it. So let me spell it for you if you want the transliteration. It's E G O and then E I M I. Ego eimi. I'm going to say that a lot. Otherwise, I usually don't bring languages into it, but I'm going to say ego eimi a lot, which is the statement, I am, with no qualifier. Just I am. It's a standalone. Now, there are times where he says, I am the bread of life, and it gives a qualifier. But there are times where he simply says, I am. Well, in the Old Testament Greek translation of Exodus 3.14, it is this exact phrase, I am. And so for Jesus here in this moment to say, before Abraham was, I am, he's alluding back to Exodus 3 to say that he is the one who always has been and forever will be. That even before Abraham, because they're talking about Abraham living and dying, he's going, forget about dying. I was never born. I am. I have always existed before even Abraham existed. I have existed. So not only am I different than Abraham in the sense that Abraham died and I won't die, not in eternal state, but you're talking about dying. I want to go back to birth and tell you I have forever and always will be. Now, we understand that Jesus being fully man was born and died, but we also understand that Jesus was fully God, and this is the claim he's making, and in that sense, he has always been. And so this is an allusion to not only Exodus 3.14, but it's a clear statement of his divinity, which leads me to point number one. We must recognize Jesus as I am. The first challenge of the text is for us to recognize that. When we, as the target statement, Jesus is, and fill in the blank, and we look at that, and the first aspect of that of what do you fill in? Who do you perceive Jesus in his identity Though I want to remind us that John's challenging us is that our perception of Jesus does not make Jesus who he is. He is who he is, but the question is, do you recognize him to be the I am or not? Do you recognize him to be the one who has always been and has always existed? Basically, do you recognize him as God? had a conversation in the park this week with a friend I met, uh, a Muslim friend, and we got to talking, and he asked my age, and I said 33, and he said, oh, in our religion, we believe when everybody gets to heaven, they'll be 33. Like, that's the perfect age. Is that true in your religion? And I said, no, we don't have anything that says we'll be 33, but I said, I wonder if there's any significance to that, because Jesus was 33 when he died for our sins. And we had this conversation about the fact that we believe and who Jesus is, and that he's died, and how that changes things for us, we recognize. And my friends, who I was talking to, did not recognize that as truth, which simply want to pose the question, 
is, am I right? Is he right? Or are neither of us right? But the point is, we both can't be right. I want you to get that. I can be right or he can be right, meaning I be right that I believe that Jesus is God. He could be right in believing that Jesus is not God. Or we could both be wrong and he could be something completely different. But the possibility of us both being right is not possible. Either he is or he isn't. And the challenge I want to give to us, even as I process this and pray for my friend, is what we believe Jesus to be does not make him who he is. He is who he is. The question is, will we recognize him as such? And I, believing that Jesus is God, pray for my friend that he too would one day come to see that Jesus is I am. That he is the one who always has been and will be and is unchanging today. Is the unchanging God that when we encounter changes everything. We must recognize Jesus as I am. John 8, 58, our text, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Ego, a me. Now, they didn't believe Jesus to be God, but they recognized that he was claiming to be God. Why? Look at verse 59. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Why did they pick up stones to throw at him? Because in the question of his identity, who they dishonored him by saying, you're a Samaritan and one who is demon-possessed, he said, no, I'm neither of those things. I am God in front of you. And they go, oh, now we're really going to get you. And they picked up stones to throw him, throw at him. John chapter 10, 30 and 31, Jesus makes the claim, I and the Father are one. What is the response? Verse 31, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. I give you that verse to make this clear connection. They picked up stones because they understood that he was claiming to be God. He was claiming to be God. He says it clearly in John 10, 30. I and the Father are one. Hold on a second. We just sung in one of the songs, I don't remember, one, two, three, or four, God and the only God, something to that nature. We're making it clear that there is, there is only one God. We are a monotheistic belief that there is only one God. Well, so are the Jewish people. But Jesus says, I and the Father are one, which brings in a complex theology of the Trinity, um, which isn't the focus of today, but we can talk about it. But here's the idea. They understood that Jesus was equaling himself with God, which is blasphemy unless he actually is God, which they didn't believe he was, so they were ready to stone him. The point I wanted you to get is we see twice they pick up stones to throw at him. Why? Because both times he claimed to be God. I hear people say sometimes, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. I mean, they picked up stones, right? You may not see that statement as him claiming to be God, but the Jewish people in the first century clearly saw that he was claiming to be God. So the question is, and the point number one, we must recognize Jesus as the I am, that he claims to be God, he claims to be divine, he defines himself as I am at times, the bread of life. At times, the true vine. He fills it in. But in this moment, he doesn't fill it in. He just simply says, I am, which is a statement to always existing into the divinity. Point number two, not only do we recognize that Jesus is the I am, but we must respond accordingly to Jesus as I am. John chapter 8, verse 24. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now, hopefully you see on the screen um, that I have crossed out the he there. Yeah. All right, I've crossed out the he. Um, I, I want you to also recognize I read the he. All right, so be careful here. 
Um, this is a faithful English translation, that he should be there in the English. However, I want to point out, and here's one of the issues if you are bilingual or have ever done any translations, is it doesn't always perfectly translate an idea from one language to the next. Well, here's, a, here's an example of that. In English, we need a qualifier. Jesus is fill in the blank. Jonathan is tall. Like, you need a qualifier. And so in English, translating here, they need a qualifier. When he says, believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now, we need the qualifier, but I want us to see in the Greek, it's simply ego eimi. You don't have the he there. As to say, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe I am, you will die in your sins. It is a statement of recognizing that who Jesus is and recognizing the qualification of who Jesus is. That he is, once again, saying, I am. And therefore, you must believe in that. So he's speaking to believing in him. I believe he's speaking to his even divinity and understanding who he is. You must believe in me as God, or you believe in God for the forgiveness of your sins. Let me even go a little bit further to make this point. John chapter 13, verses 18 through 19. We have a similar situation where English has given a qualifier, although it wasn't originally there. I am not speaking of all of you. Time out. We haven't gotten to John 13. Um, He's washing his disciples' feet. It's the Passover. It's the last meal he eats with his disciples before he is uh, betrayed and crucified. So that's the context. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. He's talking about the moment that Judas is going to betray him later on that evening. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you will believe that I am. Ego, me. That you will believe I am. Significant. Let's read that moment. John chapter 18, this is when Judas betrays him. Jesus answered him, they, or Jesus answered him, Jesus of Nazareth, they ask him, hey, Jesus of Nazareth, who is Jesus of Nazareth? And what does Jesus say? Jesus said to them, I am, that's all he says, ego me. I am he. Now, it's clearly a reference to say, hey, I am Jesus of Nazareth, of who you're looking for, right? So it's a basic English statement, nothing special about it. He doesn't necessarily have to add the he part for us to make sense of it. That would be all normal except for what happens next. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said, ego a me, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now, they didn't draw back and fall to the ground simply because of the person they recognized Jesus of Nazareth. Because of this moment where Jesus said, ego a me. And he said it in a divine way, in such a way that the people couldn't help but in that holy moment, even those against him drew back and fell to the ground. Which is to say that I think there's more here than Jesus is just simply going, I am Jesus of Nazareth. No, no, no. But Jesus of Nazareth is, I am. And in that moment where he says, I am, the people respond by bowing down to the ground. And so I've marked through the he in each of those as to say, they're faithful in your English translation because that's, it wouldn't make sense from an English grammar standpoint not to give the qualifier there. But I also want to point out that Jesus is simply saying, ego a me, and I believe it's an allusion to what's already been revealed right here in John chapter 8 where he says, before Abraham was, I am. 
I am is a, one of the clearest and most divine descriptions of who God is. And I want you to notice there are two challenges from John and how we are to respond. John chapter 8 calls us to believe in him. It says, John chapter 8, 24, let me read it again. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am, meaning that unless you believe in me, you will die in your sins. We must respond to Jesus as I am. And clearly in John chapter 13, when he is foreshadowing and telling his disciples, I'm letting you know this now that I am he, so that what? You may believe that I am. And then when it happens and he says, I am, and they fall back and a bow before him, they fall to the ground. What it doesn't make it sound like willingly fall to the ground, but just as a power of the divine nature of who he is and claiming that, what do you think it did for those disciples in that moment? They remember just a few hours before, Jesus was telling them, Judas is going to betray me, and I'm telling you this ahead of time so that when it happens, you will believe that I am, that you will believe in me. And when it happens, how do you think, even though in their scared little selves, and I would be scared too. I look at them all fleeing away and I just go, cowards. But I'll just be honest, I'd be a coward too, probably. So I, I, I'm not, but, but imagine even in that cowardness, when they finally get still for a moment and process and go, oh, Jesus told us that was going to happen. And look what happened when he revealed that I am. Look how everybody else responded, even if for a brief moment. What was the response in their hearts? It grew their faith. Here's the takeaway for us today, and I'll close. It's simply this. Believe in I am and have eternal life. It's the challenge of the text. And if you've been around in this series, you're like, Pastor, you've been saying that every week. Yeah. Because that's the whole point of this gospel. It's the whole point of the story of Scripture is to believe in Jesus and have eternal life. It's the whole point of John. Let's not forget John chapter 20, verse 30. It's not going to be on the screen, but this is kind of the theme for the whole book. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that what? You may believe in Jesus as the Christ and the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life in his name. Believe and have eternal life. The text is simple. And I know that, once again, there were details we didn't unpack from their conversation. But let's not miss the main point of this text, which is a question of Jesus' identity. Jesus is and you've got to be able to fill in a qualifier. And my question is, the qualifier do you fill in? Is it Jesus is Lord? Jesus is my Savior? Is the qualifier faithful to who he is? But I also want to recognize from this text that Jesus doesn't have to have a qualifier. He simply, Jesus is. He is. Jesus is. May we recognize that. May we respond to that by believing in him and having eternal life. Let's pray. Jesus, we are grateful that you are I am. We are grateful that you are Lord. We are grateful that you are the one who before time thought of us when you were planning your plan of redemption to go to the cross. We are grateful that you gave your life in our sin and our rebellion when we were far from you and we had no hope of being reconciled and being forgiven and having eternal life, you came. As our memory verse for this week is, John 1.14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You came and you dwelt among us. 
And we have seen your glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We have seen your glory. We recognize you as I am. We recognize you as the one who always was and is and will be. There is no beginning. There is no end. You are God. And because of you taking on flesh and living that sinless life, going to the cross and dying in our place, the penalty we deserved was death. Not eternal life in you, but eternal life away from you. But you took on that punishment for us so that we could take on life from you. Our response is the takeaway from this text. Believe in Jesus as I am and have eternal life. Spirit of God, here's been my prayer. As I recognize that I hope that through my sermon, the truth was made clear that we can comprehend it. We can comprehend that Jesus is claiming that he is God. And guess what? The Jews in this text comprehended what Jesus was saying. The question is, do we see it and believe it? And my prayer over this room is not just that we would comprehend the truth, but that we'd see it with our spiritual eyes and believe. And so I pray over this room. If there's anybody in here, Lord, that does not know you as Lord and Savior, that Spirit of God, you would quicken their hearts to see that you truly are I am. And that by believing in you, by putting our faith and trust in you, we have the forgiveness of our sins for the salvation of our souls. That we, in you, are promised life. But if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that he was raised from the dead, we will be saved. And so if you're in here today and you're hearing this truth and you go, you know what? I'm seeing for the first time that Jesus really is Lord, that Jesus just is God and that I must believe in him for salvation. Would you just put that verse I just said into practice? Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Would you call upon him in faith and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I'm unworthy of you because of my sin. But I see that you are God and that you loved me so much that you died the death that I deserved in order to give me to the life that I never could have earned. So I ask for for you to forgive me of my sins, be the Lord and Savior of my life, and I put my faith in you. Scripture says if you pray that prayer, and that you believe it in your heart, you confess that with your mouth and believe in your heart, you'll be saved. We pray that you would walk with Jesus. For the believer in the room, how, who would say, you know what, I believe that Jesus is Lord and I have eternal life in him. My question simply is, how does that change your life today? Do you see that Jesus is, period? meaning you can trust him in your difficult season. You can trust him when finances don't make sense and work doesn't make sense and relationships doesn't make sense and when sickness and health doesn't make sense because he is, he is the one to be trusted. He is the one that we give our lives to. We believe in him, not just for our eternity, but we believe in him and that changes everything right here in this moment. Might your life find rest in him. Might your situations be transformed by him. Jesus, we trust you. We give this time to you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is New Hope NYC. Our website is www.newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have 4 p.m. worship gatherings on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.